All right, Justin. In honor of your movie today, I have something else in mind for for something else that is super bad, if you will. Once again, Justin, how about them Cowboys? Oh, no. <laughs> the they should win this Sunday, so give them a break. Who, they who got the Giants? That's a winnable game for them, so give them a break. Justin, they've played what four other winnable games? Just throwing that out there. <laughs> they've won one of this those. This is like. But this is just really like, I mean, if they lose this one, then I'm just going to pile drive myself. I'm just saying, Justin, we're talking super bad today. So what else could I possibly ask other than how about them Cowboys? <laughs> and in true Cowboy fashion, Justin, you're taking a loss on this one, too. So so now you're just going to give me losses. <laughs> I don't even get a chance to compete. <laughs> well, you had the chance, Justin. But it's the Cowboys, and like them, you lose. You had the chance. Dang. And the chance was is you could have maybe done a retort or something talking about how the Titans are just a plague-infested team, but you didn't. So that's why you're taking the loss, Justin. You didn't actually retort and challenge me in the same way. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> now that I know what the rules are, I'll be of ready course, next it's time. It's Sterling's game. You got to, you know... Got to do that. Yeah. You have to follow my arbitrary rules that I make up on the spot. (laughs) So, yes, now, Justin, you have 30 wins and 34 losses. Ha ha. Dang it. Because if you want to even go by your own logic of the official record as of what's been released, you're 30 and 32 then. So. Well, the path to 500 will be long, but I will emerge victorious. The problem is, is now that I know the number, I'm going to keep track of it. And so I'm yeah, just that was gonna, our mistake. I'm going to keep making sure that you're, you're below 500 at all times. Because I, I have to rule with an iron fist, apparently. Apparently, like I said, I showed too much mercy. So, and uh, so for you, Heather, your question in this game is, I don't have one for you. So you just take a loss anyway. Oh, okay. Well, Justin, if it makes you feel better, I now know my scores. I also have 30 losses, if that helps. And I have eight wins. (laughs) So (laughs) you're definitely doing better than I am. Well, if we want to count the two that we've also released since then, you are nine and 31. Well, there we go. And I don't remember what I did for you in the last one. Um, oh, man, I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah, I don't remember either. I'll just assume it was a loss, too. Well, so, it was 10 Things I Hate About You. And what was our one that we did? Well, it was something about you having to sing a song you hate. Oh, yeah. 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 How do you sing a song that, that I it. hate? Which, oh, yeah, and I was doing the Rick Roll song, and you said you, oh, you yeah, understood. Oh, yeah, definitely doesn't count, because it's Rick Astley. He's amazing. No, but you said that you understood my logic with it. Maybe, but fuck that. It's Rick Astley. He's amazing. You don't have to make me lose because I'm not close to being winning anyway. So yeah, but <laughs> just in case, point. just in case I forget your scores, you're now nine and thirty-three. You just said you would not forget that score. <laughs> you just want to make me lose. I just I. I Apparently, I was lax days of cool with Justin, so I have to I have to stay on my P's and Q's with this. 
Mm, iron and, fist. And, got it. Yes. Yeah, so nine and 33. Kurt, you destroyed us all. Thank you for, for all of this. <laughs> Which that gives me a total record of 39 losses and 67 wins. Yeah, wow. I can't imagine what the score would be if this wasn't a biased game in any sort of way. Yeah, I mean, I'm 67 and 39. I think you should just guys should realize I'm going to be the reigning champ. Mm. It's just how it is. I don't know what else to do but win. Oh my! And my fat boy agrees with me, don't you, fat boy? Yeah, he agrees with me. And on that note, I was listening back when I was editing some of the stuff. I say that so fucking much. <laughs> Here's the intro. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin, the two people that lose to me more than I lose to them in the game. And we're doing an episode off of Justin's Essential List. And if you did not guess what that movie was based on the title of this episode and the fact that I said the name of the movie a couple of times already, we're going to be talking about Superbad. We will be talking about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. With this movie, we will do spoiler-free at the beginning, give our recommendations and scores, and then give a more spoiler-centric you know, review after that with time codes for when spoilers start in the description of this episode. Justin, your movie. Start us off. Yes, sir. So why did I have you guys watch Superbad? Well, for me, this has always just kind of been out of those kind of coming of age, teen comedies, party movies, whatever genre or subgenre you want to uh, label this in. I just remember when this first came out, really, really enjoying this movie. It got a lot of laughs out of me and everything like that. And I mean, I remember uh, my group of friends, we just couldn't stop talking about this one. And when you think about like we were talking yesterday about like if there was a hierarchy of like these teen uh kind of teen comedies and everything like that. And we talked about Clueless and we talked about uh, 10 things. We watched Heather's selection, which was 10 things. And, you know, we talked to like, if there was a, we talked as if there was like this pecking order, if you will. And for me, this is definitely one of the, I think, when you get into the high tier of those movies, like the ones that have kind of reached some level of iconic status, I think that this is one of them. You know, it's not my absolute favorite of these movies. I think my favorite of these is Juno, which I don't know why I didn't put Juno on this list because Juno is like awesome. I think that's like probably the best or it might just be just under clueless to me i think those are like really uh, very close to each other but this like if you go down a little bit lower i think super bad is there i think when it comes to these types of movies and you make a list i don't know how super bad isn't on it um, for the reasons that I just mentioned. So I thought that it would be fun to revisit this. And even though yet yeah, there are some elements that, uh, 
<laughs> that, that haven't aged as well, which I'm sure we'll get into in detail. I still found myself laughing at this. I still really enjoyed this. Um, uh, Seth Rogen was one of the people that wrote this and, and Seth Rogen this was just during that time period where this guy almost could do no wrong like I, uh, th- you know he had a lot of movies that he was associated with or wrote or starred in and things like that and they were all these kind of movies kind of like this where you just kind of have these you know regular people whether it be teens young people or older people like knocked up And I just enjoyed all of those movies. This, there was that citrical, I mean, what what was it called? This is the end. I mean, there there are just a group of like Seth Rogen involved the movies. And I really liked just about all of them. And this is to me, one of his crowning achievements. Um, He was a co-writer of the script of this movie. And he's also in this movie. Um, And and he's great in the movie too. So uh, yeah, I, I just think that this movie is a ton of fun. I think um, if we were talking yesterday about we were talking yesterday about how um, about how like if 10 things I hate about you and I'm sorry I know this is not the recording this won't come out we weren't doing it literally yesterday but like the last time we were here we were talking about 10 things I hate about you and I know that either it was either you or I think it was Sterling actually that said that 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 is the 10 things I hate about you is kind of like the must watch if you hung around white women or if you had white female friends then you had to have seen that movie well if you flip the script this this is the guy one like this is the guy uh, teen comedy movie that probably the, 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 that's what this is geared towards. That's what this is. At its heart, it's a friendship movie about these two guys. And, uh, you know, we're nearing college. We're coming out of the teen innocence phase. We're going into adulthood. And essentially what you have is these guys trying to have that last hurrah before, um, college so they have these girls that they like and these are three losers uh you know uh our three characters Joda Hill Michael Sarah um and of course McLovin um who shoot if you ask anybody at this point about if you hear the name McLovin everybody just knows who that is like that's how popular this movie is um but those three guys are like, you know, they're, they're your nerds. They're kind of your losers. They're not like super nerds. They're not over the top, but they're not the popular guys getting all the girls, that kind of thing. So they finally are building up these courage. There are these girls that they like, and they're finally going to do it. There's going to be this party and they're going to, they're going to finally get these girls. And that's, and so the, the story of this is very simple. You know, it's a simple premise and and that takes us along this journey. And what I love about this movie is that the, the pacing of it, it, 
it is really just nonstop once they establish the characters. They establish all the characters. You kind of get an idea of who everybody is. And then from then on, it is just nonstop with nothing going according to plan. And then one thing leads to one problem that you think is solved actually leads to two or three more problems. And we just almost keep going down this hole. And it's just funny throughout, I think. There are just all these funny situations and things. And again, um, we come to a movie where we talk about with these movies where like the supporting characters have to be good. You have to have some supporting characters that add some life to the, to the story or that really complement the other characters in this. And Seth Rogen and Bill Hader as the two cops in this movie that take McLovin on this joy ride. Really? I mean, I, I liked those scenes back then, but watching it now, I feel like it steals the movie now. Like, I feel like that is like probably the crown jewel of this. Um, uh, as far as just like the best scenes, I really think that they just all nailed it together. But, uh, there are some good performances in this too. And Michael Sarah, when you watch this, you just understand why he becomes a star. Kind of like with 10 things about you, you know, we're watching these actors and actresses young and we're going, man, I see why they became stars. And here you definitely see like Michael Sarah with that awkward quirkiness kind of uh sincere but very like full of heart performance that he gives and all these awkward situations and his improv with dialogue and lines you understand why this guy gets typecasted the way he does and has been able to take really advantage of that throughout his career and then jonah hill uh playing this uh foul mouth Seth character who you know talks a big game but clearly you 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 find out as the movie goes on he's not everything he really says he is he's not as confident as he seems and uh, I mean Jonah Hill just knocked it out of the park with this he does a great job uh, with this character I thought as well too and this movie definitely is not um, <laughs> on the same level of something like 10 things as far as the raunchiness and and I mean, you know, there's a lot of cursing in this. There's a lot of vulgarity. Some of the lingo is definitely just it's just super vulgar, maybe even more vulgar than I remember it. I was like, so there were some of the lines or some of the things characters were saying. I was like, damn. But I really feel like that's all dressing. And then the movie, as the story progresses, really kind of unravels those layers. And you really get to see who these people are. And then by the end, where we, we get to the resolution of this, I really think that the buddy dynamic comes across and it comes across well. And so there are all these little messages about facing your fears and um, coming out of that teen age. Um, innocence and how like scary that is and going into the unknown which is the next phase of your life all of that is in there but it's done visually it's not all given to you on a plate you know it's not just exposited in a boring or dumb way so I think that even though 
the heart of the, at the, you know, the surface of this is the vulgarity and all of these crazy shenanigans and things happening. And it's about drinking and partying and stuff. But underneath all of that, there is some depth here. And there are a lot of artistic, just intellectual things that the script brings to this and, and the story that I really appreciated. So overall, I, I still think that this is a good movie and it was nice to uh, experience this again. Heather, what about you? Yeah, so this is a movie that I actually had not seen until this year. Um, I actually ended up watching it a few months ago because, you know, I've always heard a lot of good things about it and, you know, everybody quotes it and all these things. And I got what the quotes were about and I got what, you know, they were referencing, but I never had seen the movie to really kind of tag along with it and know specifics of that. But yeah, I mean, I've always known what this movie was and I've always known about it. I just never got around to watching it at any point um, until this year. So that being said, I mean, I, I guess part of that is just in general, like raunchy teen comedies aren't usually like my forte. And I think it's just because for one, they all kind of seem to, I, I feel like they'd go for like the cheap jokes. Like I, I feel like they try to do things that are just over the top, like slapstick or insane things to be funny and sometimes they try too hard and it's not funny um, or they're just doing certain things that are raunchy and ridiculous just for the sake of it. But it just you just feel like it's out of nowhere. And it even, you know, I think all of those movies kind of do that. But there's just so many of them where you feel like it's not funny because it doesn't really um, go with anything else going on at the time. They just want to put stuff in there just to put stuff in there. Um, but I will say I do think super bad is different in that way. I do think that it was a lot more clever. I thought it was a lot more witty and yeah, they have that raunchy stuff in there and that's kind of expected. And, you know, it's a high school movie and, you know, they're talking about like wanting to get laid for the first time and things like that. So of course you're going to have some of that raunchiness in there and it's expected. So I wasn't like, not thinking it wouldn't be that way, but they're just very clever about how they do it. And actually the jokes that they do about those things are actually funnier in this movie than I have seen in a lot of other movies that are like it. So, um, and I think that's why it works and just the dynamics between the characters, kind of like we were talking about with a couple of other movies lately, just the, I mean, when you have a comedy that is kind of like a buddy comedy, you really have to have two the two leads really hit it off and really have a good chemistry together. And Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill did that. They were very believable as like high school best friends. Everybody kind of brought a different type of humor. Like it, it was all kind of the same and it worked well together, but everybody was slightly different in their humor. Like Jonah Hill you know, he has a very funny way that he delivers his lines all the time and it works well in a lot of scenarios. And, you know, that's kind of what he did in this movie. And then you got Michael Sarah, who he's a very, he's just like a subtle, <laughs> he's got like the subtle, like things that he says in response to Jonah Hill's like craziness. And I love it. Michael Sarah for me totally stands out 
in this movie. Like it's just, he's very subtle with his humor or his responses and things like that. And we will get more into that in the spoilers, but I just think that the way that they played off of each other in their dialogue and just who their characters were was really great. And that really also kind of made the movie and it sounds weird, but honestly, this movie is a little bit more sentimental in in a couple of ways than other movies that are like this. So I think this movie kind of tries, or this movie is what other movies like this tried to be for so long. And this one actually just got it right. You know? So I think that that is the difference in this movie because they, they did all the things that other movies wanted to do, like scary movie and not another teen movie and all those movies wanted to do, but this one did it right. So I, I actually did think that it was humorous. I thought it was funny I agree about the the cops, <laughs> Bill Hader and Seth Rogen. Um, I, I I just think everybody's character and McLovin. Oh my goodness, McLovin was so funny. Um, <laughs> everybody just did like a really good job being these characters, being these believable high school kids that have no idea what they're doing, and going through the motions of figuring out puberty and figuring out how to be like these guys that get what they want and figuring out how to go on past high school and what's going to happen for them. And just all of these things that, you know, it's relatable, I guess is the word I'm saying. Like, it's just very relatable. I feel like for a lot of high school kids, not even just guys, but in general, you know, you got your high school best friends and you're about to go off to different schools and just a lot of different things that it's just a relatable teen comedy because it has those more sentimental elements to it than a lot of other ones do. So that being said, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I did like this movie and how funny I thought it was compared to like what I expected from this movie. So um, yeah, it was, it was a good movie. So not to spoil anything, but Justin, you do also have Juno on your list. Oh, I, okay. Then I guess good. I, I didn't think I put it on there. I guess I forgot. <laughs> I no, haven't I, checked that in months, though. I but. have I have Juno on your list. Nice. Like when you said that, I was like, wait, am I wrong? Because I could have sworn it was on there. And I went and looked. So you, it is on the list. Uh, but back to Superbad. This is one of those movies that when it came out, it was, it kind of took everybody by storm. I mean, this was one of those movies that everybody just sits around and quotes and talks about and loves and was just always uh, quoting. You know, this was and I, I think it shows its lasting power because some things in this movie have been turned into memes. So it's still there. It's still very much a part of everything with, you know, our culture. But like Justin said, there are some elements of this movie that do not age well at all, but I do feel like with this movie, it's heart was in the right place and was kind of just a movie of its time. I do feel like there are aspects of it that, like I said, don't age well, but if it was made today, I feel like they wouldn't have those elements to it. So yeah, I get that. So I don't necessarily like think that, it was malicious with how it did it. I think it was just very much using the lexicon and just overall vocabulary that a lot of people uh, at during this time used at that age. So I, I, I see where 
like why it used those things. Uh, I do think, though, that there are certain elements of this movie that were kind of ahead of its time. I mean, if you look, you know, a little bit before this with something like an American Pie, like this movie is infinitely more progressive than that when it comes to some of those elements. And, you know, that's it's just very interesting that like it kind of just shows why one lasted and the other one didn't. I know they're still trying to make the other one last. Like they're trying to make American Pie last. They still make American Pie movies. Yeah, I was about to say, aren't they on like <laughs> American Pie 13, the bakery <laughs> goes to space or something? I don't know. Well, no, they just they just made another one. It's like a girl centric American Pie that I literally, I think, came out a month ago hmm. or like within the last couple of months. I would like to see American Pie, the bakery ghost. <laughs> that sounds like a really good movie. <laughs> That the bakery goes to outer space. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's... Man, please make that movie. I don't... I, I, I'm not going to lie. I still think that that's outside the realm of what uh, the American Pie movies are. Uh, mm. There's no bakeries in any of them, so I'm just throwing <laughs> yeah. that out there. I'm just throwing that out there. Until now. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of weird that if all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's a bakery and it's in outer space now considering the bakery and or things going into outer space were not really relevant to the American pie series. Now, if you, they made one where a guy fucks a pie in outer space, that actually seems a little bit more reasonable, but outside of that back to super bad, a pie orgy in a, in a, in a space bakery sounds good to me. I mean, if they have 13 other American pies, I mean, what other (laughs) storylines can you have? You know, I mean, exactly. No, I think they're kind of perfectly content of just recycling the same shit over and over again, though. Yeah, just new people. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, asking them to make something other than just a guy. same story. (laughs) Awkwardly trying to fuck people all the time. You're really asking too much from the American Pie franchise. That's fair. Like I said, back to super bad. I tried to get back on topic. You guys were like, no, fuck that. We're not doing it. Uh. I mean, I guess I'm a little bit different than you guys. I felt bad for Christopher Mintzplass after this movie because he was typecast as that character. He was able to kind of break free from that uh, with uh, kick-ass and stuff like that. But it's he still was very much typecast in that. It wasn't until very recently where I think he was actually able to truly break out of it with uh, his performance in... Uh, was it the neighbors movies? Oh what? yeah. I forget his name, yeah. Yeah, where he, he plays the guy with an apparently huge dick. Like absurdly huge I dick. I forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. But anyway. Uh it, but this movie kind of was what introduced a lot of us to Michael Sarah, to Christopher Mintz plots, to Bill Hader, uh even to Jonah Hill. Like Jonah Hill had been in a couple of things. But this is where he really got to shine as a as a main character, you know, outside of the kid that uh, wanted a pair of go-go boots with a fish in them from 40-year-old virgin. But like with this is like when you really kind of got introduced to a lot of these people. Emma Stone, this was kind of one of her first more upfront roles. So, yeah, it's it's it very much 
has its place with stuff. And I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because I've seen a few other movies since then that are kind of in the same genre or, you know, doing the same type of thing that I like more now. But for a very long period of time, Superbad was that movie. Whereas, you know, now I think uh, a better version of it is a movie we've talked about before, which is Booksmart. Yeah. And so it's it's still one of those movies, though, that like going back to watch it has a very a very fond sense of familiarity to it, which I know I fucked up saying that word. I don't know why there are just certain words I can't say like a normal human being that speaks English. But this movie has that. It's one of those movies where you can just kind of put it on and watch it. And you're just so familiar with it that it just kind of goes down smooth. And I think that that, I don't know if it was maybe the time in which it came out versus what else was coming out around the time or what, but there's just something very welcoming about that. And I think that's all I'm going to say in this section. I say, like, I say that, like, I don't know. I think once again, this is one of those movies that really doesn't have a lot of spoilers to it outside of just talking about very specific scenes. But I don't really think that there's anything to spoil with it because as Justin was saying, it's very simple, very straightforward, very, you know, by the books movie, as far as the plot goes, you know, there's no twists and turns and surprises really, but it does have a few really like strong moments in it. But so, like I said, that's, that's going to be it for me now. And we'll go now to Heather to give her recommendation and score. Yeah, I mean, I would recommend this because if you get me, who's not really a huge fan of the raunchy teen comedy type movies, and I think that it was a pretty good one, I would say, you know, I think that says something for it <laughs> because that's not usually my forte. But it even, even still, regardless of that, it's very witty. And I do think that it's it's one of those if you if you do like those types of movies, this is going to be definitely one of your better ones that you'll see of that. And kind of the one I would say, honestly, it might have kind of set the standard for what they should be if you're going to do this type of movie. Um, so, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I do think it's definitely worth watching, even if it's just for like the pop culture references that you always hear about this movie. You know, it's good to just watch it and see what, what all of it's about. And um, it's entertaining. It's humorous. And um, it's it's just a smarter comedy in some ways than some of these other ones are. And kind of like what Sterling said, it's got heart to it. I mean, there's a little sentimental value in what's happening in part of the story. And I think that that is a relatable part of the movie. So yeah, I would, I would say it's worth a watch for sure. My score, I'm going to give it 70 Jonah Hill's headbutting Emma Stone's out of a hundred. That is a weird scene to choose for that. Justin, what about you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely uh, recommend it. I'm more along the lines of I don't think that this is just one of those where it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's a good movie. This this is a <laughs> this is a teen comedy classic now. Like I think you can put it in that category now. It has earned 
that reputation. You know, that that's pretty much what it is. Like when you talk about these movies, this is one that, that it gets mentioned. This, this often makes list. It's, it's sometimes I even see it in the 500 best movies of all time. I've seen it in that list. Like that is, I don't want to, it to escape just how meaningful this became to cinema, not even just in its reputation, but also just these people, these actors and actresses that this is one of their budding movies. And because this was such a hit, I want to say a $20 million budget made over a hundred million dollars that propelled all of them. You know, this kind of propelled all of them uh, to new heights. So I think it, I don't think it can be stated enough that that is where this movie is now and yeah I might agree like the book smart comparison is interesting and yeah I do uh, agree in some ways I think that maybe while book smart is a little bit tighter maybe you could argue better written maybe better structure but I don't know if it has the performances I don't know if they are as memorable as what we got here. So in that way, I think super bad, just the cast is just almost in a class of its own and, and how everybody just nailed who they were and just the, the memorable scene. So I just don't want that to be understated. Um, but, but yeah, I would say watch it for that movie. If, if for that, for those reasons, if you haven't seen this for some reason, reason um you gotta know what the fuss is and continues to be about you know you you need to see you need to understand when people say mclovin who they're talking about and why that person and, and why that name is just now an iconic name like i mean i mean there's uh, uh i listen to dan patrick sometimes one of his broadcast partners is named mclovin you know that's what he calls himself like I mean, you know, there's just increments of this movie now in our American culture. So I can't. So I think even just for the importance of cinema and what it is today, what these movies have become, this was kind of like 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 my two people, like my two colleagues have said, this is one of those movies that was that that kind of was the blueprint for how to properly do this movie, how you can still have the raunchiness, but that doesn't have to carry the movie, how you can still have these layered characters with heart, but you can still have those situational moments. And that's really the heart of this. It's a lot of situational comedy, but even still, the way the story is crafted, it does its job of just getting you to find these characters compelling uh, when it's all said and done. So, yeah, I, I definitely recommend um, to, to me. I think if Juno and Clueless are like A's, this is a B, but it's a hobby. It's just under what it needs to be to be an A. So I'm going 89. Um <laughs> uh vaginal blood pants uh <laughs> that you suddenly discover uh th that you have out of a hundred. <laughs> oh my. You guys are fucking weird. That's all I'm saying with your with your scores on this. The, the, the scenes you're using for your scores. 
you guys are fucking weird. That's all I'm saying. I do think it's funny, though, Justin, that you did bring up uh, McLovin from the Dan Patrick show because I, li- I listen to Dan Patrick show every day, every day without fail. I listen to the Dan Patrick show. And so for me, it's actually kind of hard to go back and watch Superbad and hear them say McLovin and not think of Andrew Perloff from the Dan Patrick show <laughs> because I hear him called McLovin every day. So it's actually like, I get what you're saying about like, that's what inspired that because when he first joined the show, they thought he kind of looked like an older Christopher Mintz plus. So they, uh, they call him McLovin and it's just, but like I said, I hear him being called McLovin every day. So it's actually, like I said, it was very weird watching this movie today and hearing them say McLovin and not just instantly thinking of who his real name is. Andrew Perloff. Uh, but yeah, that's just like, that's my biggest connection with all that. But I mean, I guess as far as like a recommendation goes, yeah, I recommend it. Um, especially if you're from my age group and you just, for whatever reason, haven't seen this yet. What the fuck's wrong with you? Go ahead and watch this. Everyone else has for a good reason. But I do think it's funny, though. I was thinking about it whenever I, I called on you, Justin, to do your recommendations and scores like why the fuck am I asking you guys to recommend a movie you have on your essentials list? It makes no sense. <laughs> of course, you guys are going to recommend it. Like you're at least your movie. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I know you guys, for whatever reason, hate good movies and didn't like Kroll as much as you should have. But like, it'd be crazy oh, if boy. that I didn't recommend Kroll. You know, I know Justin was like, right. oh, I recommend it if you're into these like four specific things ever. And I'm on the other hand, I'm like, no, I recommend it to every human being on earth. I just, I, I mean, I, I know that has nothing to do with super bad. It's just literally what I thought when Justin was like, well, yeah, of course I recommend it. And I'm like, yeah, of course you do. It's his movie, but <laughs> it's just what popped in my head. Uh, but no, this movie does. It really does have a lot of iconic things to it. And I do kind of agree with you, Justin, about maybe some of the iconicness of super bad over something like book smart. And I think a lot of that has to do, though, with the fact that, honestly, more people saw Superbad than Booksmart. I think if Booksmart was a more popular movie, I think it would have been just as iconic in a lot of ways. It's just I don't think enough people have seen it to where you can just sit there and kind of quote Booksmart and other people go, yep, I gotcha. I know yeah. what you're talking about. But, I mean, it is what it is. I, I, I do think Booksmart is a definitively better movie but also like you do have to give Superbad credit where credit is due and the fact that Superbad is the more iconic of the two though and i mean that is what it is so i mean definitely hats off to Superbad for that and i like it was just fun watching it again because there are some truly truly great scenes with i think fantastic like character actors in them like that party they go to uh with what's his name from brooklyn 99 uh yeah joe latruglio yes uh when they go to that party with him and then that party alone has a bunch of people in it that you know from other things uh i mean the guy that was in a movie we did earlier this week with 10 things i hate about you who played joseph gordon levitt's friend he's in this movie uh playing a vastly different character at that party yeah you've got oh i mean i really should have looked up the name of these actors 
Dave Franco. Well, yeah, Dave Franco is in it, but he's he's at the beginning as the soccer player. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about just at the party scene. Okay, yeah, I'm talking bad. about mainly just at the party because you've got, uh, yeah, Joe Lotruglio, uh, Kevin Corrigan, who plays the guy Mark, the 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 guy that beats up Joe Tru, uh, Lotruglio and then tries to fight Jonah Hill. I mean, that guy's in a ton of things. You've also got... I really should have been infinitely more prepared for this section than I am. And I'm sorry. Uh, the guy I was talking about, though, is Dave uh, Krumholtz from 10 Things mm-hmm. I Hate About You. Uh, you yeah. also have uh, Martin Starr, who has been in a ton of things. He plays the science teacher. In, or not science teacher. I don't know. He plays the teacher in the Spider-Man movies. Uh, the debate teacher I know in the second one. He also plays a... Uh, model UN teacher in the community and you know we've he's in uh, Silicon Valley and all this other stuff so we've seen him a bunch of times he's in this movie so like that that party scene has got a lot of those actors even the actress that has the unfortunate menstruation incident with Jonah Hill uh, she is also in forgetting Sarah Marshall as when Jason Siegel is trying to get over Kristen Bell's character and he's having sex with all those women She's the girl that just keeps saying hi to him while they have sex. And she is also uh, in the show Californication. She plays a character in that. And so it's just, it's just full of people. You end up seeing in other things. And Danny McBride, Danny McBride. He was in this. Yeah. It says he was the buddy at party. <laughs> yeah. That just means he's one of those random guys in the background. I did yeah. not even see him, but he's, yeah, he's somewhere else in that movie. So, I mean, it's, it really has a lot of those elements to it. And it's just one of those movies Dude from step up Two, moose is in it. Moose is in this. Mm-hmm. I think I remember him seeing him over by like the keg or something when the guys are talking, but yeah, he's in it too. Well, I also know that, uh, a guy from the office in the last season, uh, Oh geez. He's got glasses and, uh, Clark Duke, uh, yep. is in this. I've seen him in yeah. a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, he was in this, and I mean, he became, you know, a bigger name and stuff like that later on. Uh, so it's just, you know, everybody knows him as Dwight Jr. from The Office. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. And like I said, I mean, it's this is the stepping stone from everybody. Everybody knows who Michael Sarah is because of this. Everybody knows Jonah Hill because of this. This is really the movie that really launched a lot of these actors into where they became or where they ended up. So this movie definitely has a place in its cinematic relevance uh, being at a high level. I am, I'm going to say I recommend this movie and I am going to kind of split the difference between you guys. Let's just go an 80. Let's just go a solid 80. Michael Sarah's singing to a bunch of people on Coke out of a hundred. That is probably one of my favorite scenes. Uh, so now to spoilers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Justin, you choose you or me. I go. God, I you guys let you go. Killing at me. In this. <laughs> go ahead. Go, Justin. <laughs> well, and I thought I thought you weren't that enthused because you were like, well, there's not too much spoilery. I, I didn't think you had much there's anyway. Not, I but. don't. I don't. It's just weird when I don't go first. It's just weird. Oh, okay. But I yes. see. No, okay. I don't. I don't have anything to say. It would be me just kind of like saying some specific scenes. That's it. So, yes, by all means, it's probably better for you to go first. It's still just weird. 
Okay. <laughs> so uh, I guess I could just start with, well, actually, that scene that you're talking about, Michael Sarah singing to a bunch of people on Coke. What is so great about that scene is just the, the the little tidbits of continuity that are all over this movie. Like you'll hear a throwaway line and then there's and they and it just sounds like something throwaway. And then there's a payoff to that line or that thing that somebody said or something that comes later. And I'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff. I talked about it in Terminator 2. I kind of talked about it with 10 things and it shows up here too. And that scene that you're talking about where Michael Sarah was singing, the funny, the cool thing about that is that, okay, when they meet the, the, the driver, um, and you guys just said his name and now it escapes me. I should have looked up the names too. Let me go ahead and just pull them up because I'm going to be mentioning a lot of people. Um, but uh, the one that took them to that kind of older adult party. Um, um, Joe Lotrigo. I guess you could. Yes. Yes. Him. The, the cool thing about that scene or uh, that I thought was just so cool is that earlier, whenever he first meets up with them, cause he accidentally hits, um, Jonah Hill backing up or whatever. And so as that scene is going and he's trying to get on their good side, he looks at Michael Sarah and he says, you know, you kind of look like, uh, so-and-so's brother is, are you his Jimmy. brother? Cause Jimmy's brother. Yeah, that's right. Jimmy, Jimmy's brother. Yeah. Are you Jimmy's brother? You kind of look like him. And it it feels like he's patronizing. Like it feels like he's just trying to get on their good side. And, the, and, he, and he just seems like a weird guy. And he's very awkward. And, and that actor just did a great job playing this guy for those few scenes that he had. He really nailed them. But that felt like a throwaway line. And I just love in that scene that all of a sudden he's in there with a bunch of these older guys doing Coke. And then all of a sudden that reference comes back. They mistake him for this Jimmy, for this uh, Jimmy guy. And he, Jimmy is a singer. So now Michael Sarah has to sing to get out of this situation. (laughs) And there are all kinds of fun little tidbits like that. Another great one comes at the end of the movie. Uh, earlier, Jonah Hill is talking about something to wear to this party. And um, I want to say Michael Sarah's talking to him and he's like, well, why don't you just wear like some shorts or something like that, some cargos or whatever. And uh, Jonah Hill makes the line, man, nobody, I'm not going to be wearing that to this party. Like nobody's, uh, ever gotten a girl in cargo since Vietnam. He makes a reference like nobody's, you know, nobody has worn cargos and gotten a girl since Vietnam. Something like that. I'm abridging the line. But what is great is at the end of the movie, when he's trying to figure out what pants to buy, he decides he's in there and they're shopping for, he's shopping for jeans and they, they have a little funny moment, him and Michael Sarah. But at the very end of that scene, he's wearing military cargo pants. And when the two girls walk up and he finally kind of gets this alone time, gets some time with this girl, he's in military cargo shorts. So and I know that that was done on purpose. And it's just that's a little thing. But man, when the directors and the filmmakers care about the little things, when they have the little things in there, 
movie watchers with that eye like I have that we just appreciate shit like that. So, and there are all kinds of just funny little tidbits like that throughout the movie. So yeah, uh, uh, even though the, like I said, the dressing is the raunchiness and the profanity and stuff like that. This was very well thought out and written for it to be such a simple movie because you get payoffs for different things that it develops throughout. Uh, I guess another thing I can say is just to talk about some of the performances and just how layered they are, even though they don't seem like it. Like Jonah Hill's character, Seth, he comes off as this, you know, he's just, he comes off as like this super confident. Oh, I know what I, I know what I want and I know how to get a girl and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get the girl. I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm just going to, you know, he, he's misogynistic and he's just full of profanity and vulgar and just talking about sex all the time and everything like that. But what I love is the subtle way in which the movie kind of explains why this character is like that. And you know, he's kind of short tempered and selfish and all of that stuff. But as the movie unravels, you just begin to understand what he really is. And the funny thing is, is that I always knew a guy like this. I always had a, a either a person in my friendship circle, or I always kind of had a, a, a like a guy in high school that was like this. They talk a big game. They put down their friends. A lot of the times they, they, they talk like they just know and understand everything and have everything in, under control. But really they're hiding this, but really what is hiding underneath all that exterior is this person who is very insecure. They don't have self-esteem. They don't have it all together. And they're just and it's just hard for them to admit that. And they are scared and worried about certain things. And you can just tell by the end of the film, whenever Seth kind of comes clean uh, um, to Michael Sarah about how about how he knew that him and McLovin were going to uh were were going to be roommates at the same school together and how he knew that. And you can just tell without the movie really having to tell you that this was eating away at him, that he was angry about this, that he was jealous about this. Uh, people are reminded him of it. There was the opening scene where, um, where, um, Michael Sarah's mom goes, Oh, are you going to miss each other since you're not going to school together? So you can just tell that there is this constant people reminding him that he's not going to be with his best friend, or maybe he wasn't good enough to get in that good school, whatever it is. And so when he's kind of acting out angry towards McLovin, you understand it. Like by the end of the movie, you understand where some of that anger is coming from. Like, yeah, he yells at Michael Sarah and stuff too, but what he does to McLovin, it feels like there's something a little more vindictive. And, and like I said, these subtle touches just make at the end, whenever it's a little more heartfelt and he's kind of coming clean about how he feels about his friend, his best friend and everything. 
all of that then makes sense. Like his behavior, how he comes off, what's hiding underneath. All of that does really come off very well. And it's just done in subtle ways. They don't exposit this to you. You see it in everything, even when he's trying on the pants. And he's like, well, I I think if I wear something tight like this, it might motivate me to kind of lose a little weight. And right there, there's your clue. He's subconscious about how he looks. He's not very confident. You know, they throw all these little tidbits in there without you having to to without having to tell you or just like Michael Sarah you know uh at first Michael Sarah's sitting there and he's kind of like their friend that's like oh yeah we're gonna get these girls drunk and stuff like that but you could tell that's not really him man you could tell that that he just wasn't gonna do that and when you saw his interaction with Becca you could just tell that this is not that's not him that's not what he's gonna do and everything and then you know uh how about a quarter of a way through the movie him and uh um Seth they're talking and he's like man I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use the alcohol man I'm just gonna talk to her and tell her how I feel and and, you know and and even though he just kind of he blatantly told them in that moment you could tell that that was that character's thought process the whole time so I just like how there were all these little nuances in the characters and everything even though you didn't get to see him and then McLovin that whole joyride that he went on with the two cops with Bill Hader and Seth Rogen what it did for his confidence and how he acted once he got to the party and once he actually got there and he just confidently went up to the girl and said I'm McLovin what's up and then you know he kind of was in there and that whole experience uh just kind of gave him the confidence that I think the other two were lacking um, and trying to find in those moments. So even that contrast, I thought was just um, a great contrast. And then this whole overarching kind of theme about losing your innocence, holding on to that, holding on to that kind of kid teen innocence that we all have but understanding that you're getting closer and closer to having to give that up and the end of that is coming and then I, that's why I love I think the dynamic with McLovin and the two cops so much because they're two adults um, that are still kind of trying to hold on to that you know obviously they're not <laughs> they, they don't seem to be good cops or good at their jobs but I feel like what they represented is people trying to hold on to that still even in adulthood trying to have an inkling of that trying to you know uh, still valuing that. And that's kind of why they, you know, that was the motive behind taking McLovin on this joyride to still feel like a part of that was a part of their lives because once you become an adult, you know, once you leave that things do change things, uh, it's not the same. So I felt like those characters even had a purpose. They're not just bumbling idiots. You know what I mean? This is well written enough to where they have a purpose and point and they, um, are part of this narrative that we're telling. Uh, and the last thing I'll say just for the likes and then I'll go into just a few dislikes. Um, 
I, I really liked the ending of this and just all the symbolic stuff in there. Like I said, um, you know, Jonah Hill's wearing the cargo shorts and, and military shorts when he finally just kind of gets that date with Jules. But what I loved was that ending visual because it said everything without having to exposit it to you. We didn't need a goodbye scene. We didn't need a scene of them hugging and a car driving off into the distance. We didn't need any of that. When you have an escalator, when you have the two care, the two friends, and finally they, 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 they're in front of these girls that they both have crushes on, they both liked, and nothing went right with this whole party scenario. So here we are, and they finally decide to go with the separate girl that they're interested in, and that split apart that you see with the escalator, where you see Jonah Hill kind of going down the escalator, and um, Michael Sierra's going up, and how Michael Sierra just kind of fades from view and you see Jonah Hill give him that last look up and it's that realization that they are splitting apart. This is going to happen. That 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 friendship, as tight as they are, as much as it is, it's going to change. This is what accepting that next phase of your life is. And then them kind of walking off with the girls tells you, you know what? They're 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 going to go through this, but they're going to be okay. You know that they're going to be all right. And I got all of that from that visual because that's how well crafted this movie was. So, uh, and I think that's what makes it also a cut above some of the other movies like this, because you struggle to find these things in a lot of movies like this, but here super bad has it, um, in spades. So just bravo to them. I just love those little visual, uh, tales that this movie tells, um, in examples like that. And just a few dislikes and things like that. Definitely some of the jokes and some of the things characters say, uh, don't land well today, especially just like the homophobic slurs and calling each other faggot and stuff like that. And uh, it's true, like watching it this time, I after it was done several times, I think and it's not super excessive, but, you know, you do get a bit of it like Jonah Hill. Uh, he calls Fogel Faggle a couple of times uh, at the beginning of the movie. A bully calls Jonah Hill a faggot and spits on him. So you hear it a little bit uh, in this movie. And it's just funny how back then that didn't even have an effect on me because that kind of was the way me and my friendship circle talked you know you were you would uh, people would call each other gay all the time or I was notorious for saying oh that's gay to mean something bad or something like that and since that time uh you know especially now and just what I know now and coming to those realizations and uh about how offensive that can be I have recanted all of that and and understand that that was wrong uh, back then. So when you hear this stuff now, you can't help but think about that, you know, 
But I will say that the movie, it doesn't feel malicious in this movie. It doesn't feel like the movie was going out of its way to make a commentary on gay people or something like that. You know, this was no like America's uh, sweethearts where it almost was like the movie was making it a point to say this guy's a Spaniard. So you need to laugh at him. It was nothing like that in this movie. You know what I mean? It wasn't I don't feel it was malicious. I think it was just the character would say this, you know, this person, this kind of misogynistic kind of uh, foul mouth guy character, he would say this. So that's who said it. It's not like every five minutes I was hearing a, a, a homophobic or slur or something like that. But I thought it was worth mentioning that, yes, those things don't land um, as well today. That They definitely don't. Also, just, of course, you know, depending on how you feel about all of the objectifying women and, oh, we're going to get them drunk and we're going to fuck them and all of that kind of stuff. There's a it's hefty on that at the beginning, but I do feel like it serves the purpose of kind of being the 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 exterior and then as everything goes along those theories those things that they're gonna do are kind of proven wrong in the movie and obviously these people are not they are not those guys so I at least like that they peel away at that but I could definitely see somebody watching this and going man there's a little bit too much of this like it's it's misogynistic and it's homophobic etc etc I I could see somebody the right person watching this and coming away with some of those things so I did have to uh, at least mention that some of those elements don't uh, age well Um, but yeah but overall yeah those are just some of my uh, overall spoiler thoughts on the film Heather what about you yeah I agree with a lot of what you said Justin Um, I do I do agree a lot too about the the ending of that because that was something that really stood out to me as well is just that you just get that really good moment between them before the movie ends where they're just like you can tell they're sad and they're hesitant to go off and, and not be together for this next like adventure that they're about to both go on in life with college and with these girls and things like that. And they're just like, oh, okay, you know, I guess I'll call you. And, you know, just all of that stuff was, it was so good how this movie ended. Like, it, it just, it ended on this hopeful note of kind of like what Jason was saying, where it's like, you know, this sucks and it's different. I might not really like it, but I'm going to be okay. It's going to mm-hmm. work out. It's going to be fine. And I really did like how they did that at the end. They didn't have to do this over-exaggerated anything or you know, they just did it in a very subtle way and and i do think that this movie those subtle moments in this movie really are the best parts of it or the funniest parts or the most um memorable parts and sentimental parts so i like how they did that you know it was just a very good um a very a very nice way to kind of end this film um and you know, because, I mean, you you leave it or you, you end up at the end of the movie feeling like, you know, things are looking on the up and up for both of them, even if it's not what they necessarily would have hoped for. And I'm sure they'd like to go to school together and be together forever as best friends everywhere. But that doesn't always happen, you know, so it's um 
it, it it's really good. It's just very good. And again, like I said earlier, it's relatable. Like I remember when I was going off to college and none of my friends were going to the same college as me. And that was weird. <laughs> and, you know, especially when if you're like a creature of habit or you've had the same friends for so long and all these things, you're just like, this is weird and I don't like it. It's a weird change. And so I just feel like that's a very relatable moment in the movie. So I really liked it a lot. And I really did love that scene. Another one of my favorite scenes besides the one with Michael Sarah singing <laughs> to all the guys on Coke. Um, it's the scene where they're in the mall and he is trying on those pants and they're having that dialogue about the pants. <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny. It's just so clever to me. It's hilarious. And then honestly, it's Michael Sarah that really makes that scene. Like he's just like he's trying so hard to be like, yeah, uh huh, you know. And he's just like, I really wish you would take those off. Like he's just very subtle. It just very much how friends would be. But I just really like Michael Sarah's humor in this movie. I think it's very good. I think that's kind of his humor in general. But it's just it's so it works so well with this movie. Um, but yeah, just a lot of the scenes that were most memorable is really the scenes between Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, just having dialogue or moments together as friends. Those are just really kind of the best parts of the movie. Um, and I did like how, you know, they each do have their own separate character arcs, but learning something at the same time, like at the same time as the other one is learning something, you know, because that's them both growing up at the same time, but also part of maybe what might be making them grow apart too. And kind of those growing pains in general, but you know, Michael Sarah's character, he, I mean, I think he was pretty consistent throughout with just kind of, you know, he's got a good heart. He seems like a nice guy. He means, well, he's just very awkward, you know, but he's put in this situation where he has to choose what kind of guy he wants to be with this girl he's wanted for so long, you know, and he makes the right decisions as hard as it is. And as much as it seems like the girl in the situation wasn't really on that page with it, you know, it was just the right call. And it just kind of really made him this, this really good character in this movie that you root for. Cause you're just like, you're a good dude, you know? And like, you did the right thing, even though you had every opportunity to not, and to be the kind of, quote unquote, cool guy that, you know, these people are clearly trying to make you be. So that was the cool arc. And then, you know, just Jonah Hill's arc in general of, you know, struggling with my best friends leaving and I'm staying here and all these things like it, it, they just each had their own individual stories. But as the movie plays out with them all together, they, they have that that um, story together as well. It just, it really is well-written, Justin. I, I do agree with you on that. I think just how, how they, they, they do put enough detail in it to where individually they have great storylines and story arcs. And then together as a whole, the movie and the characters together just work really well. So I do definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I do like the, I mean, I, I just feel like there are a lot of really good side characters like McLovin is great. And there's just some of the things that he says or how he says certain things just really makes me laugh. And I don't know what it is, but he just there's something about him where I'm like, nobody else would say it that way. But he does. And it works. And it's so funny. And chicka, chicka, yeah, party. Chicka, chicka. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah it's just such random stuff that you're just like it totally works like he's just so memorable in that movie for yeah but and then his whole random super weird friendship that he has with these two cops that are just so ridiculous um <laughs> there it's so insane and you're just like what is happening here but it's so funny it's just it really is like that you know, let's go on this random adventure and hope for the best kind of thing. And like, it's just, it's the most ridiculous thing, but it, it's still very funny. Um, they really are like the worst cops. Like <laughs> they're just terrible, yes. terrible cops, <laughs> but it's, it's just so funny too. And because it is Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, it's just so funny though, because they on their own, they're just very funny comedian comedians or comedic actors but i don't know it's just everything comes together well with this movie and it does have a lot of heart and i just keep saying that phrase because when sterling said it it really was like yep that's kind of really what makes this movie different mostly that and just the wit of the jokes instead of just going for the cheap jokes you know um yeah it's it's very good i i mean i think that the the female leads in this were fine. They really were probably the more minor characters of all of them. You know, even, you know, even the cops, I feel like had more scenes and more moments than the females in the movie. <laughs> like, um, Becca was her name. I think Michael Sarah's love interest in this one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Becca. she was, yeah, she was, uh, she was good in her role um, and she was just as like awkward as he is. And so it worked, but you know, just kind of, they were, they were fine in their roles and Emma Stone and you know, everyone knows I love Emma Stone, but they were very, their, their characters were good. They were just very minor, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I think they did a great job being those characters because they're at least, it's not just like, Oh, we want to try to get with the hot girls just cause they're hot. Like you feel like they actually had real connections with these girls that they want. It's not like this is a long shot. I've never talked to this girl before in my life, but I am going to nail her at the end of the night. Like it wasn't like a, that situation. It was, you know, I'm actually interested in this girl. I've hung out with her. I have a connection with her and that's, you know, and so it, it, the, the characters or the female characters had, um, I guess substance to them, I guess I should say. And I, I guess I liked that because there are some of those movies where you're just like, Oh, it's just the, the hot girl that looks good. And you know, she has, she's just misunderstood, but they don't really explain it. You know, there's just very cliche things in these movies with the females in it. And these, they just, they feel like they had a little bit more unique, um, personalities, I guess. So I kind of liked that, but, um, you know, it, it was just, yeah, it, it's a good movie and there's not really much more beyond what Jassin kind of talked about with some of the, the things in it. And I didn't actually notice some of those things that you talked about with like some of those, <laughs> the, like the, the pants and everything. Like it's just, they, they do very subtle things and subtle humor really is my favorite kind when it's clearly supposed to be funny, but they do it in a more subtle way. I really enjoy that. So they did a very good job at that in this movie. And yeah, it, it's really just, it honestly, it was a pleasant surprise of a movie. I really, and I think too, kind of like Sterling said earlier, when this movie came out, it was all the rage. Everybody everywhere was talking about this movie. 
And sometimes with that type of thing, movies like that for me, I just kind of, it, it makes me not really want to watch it or watch it right away because I'm like, I feel like everyone's talking about it too much and it's going to be overrated. And so maybe that's why I didn't watch it right away either, because it was one of those movies for me where you hear about it all the time, kind of like Napoleon Dynamite was, where it was just like, everyone's talking about it and everyone thinks it's so funny and quotes it all the time. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll get around to it. But I am kind of sad that I missed out on this movie back when it first came out. Although I don't know if I would have appreciated it as much back then as I do now. So I probably understand or would have picked up on more things now than I I would have back then. So, um, but yeah, I, I am glad that I watched this and I, I definitely do see why it is on your list, Justin. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very good. And it's, it is one of those where it's, it's in the category with a lot of other movies like it, but like I said before, it just does it better than most. I do also agree that Booksmart, I think, is definitely a better movie, but it is not as popular of a movie. So, Well, finally, I get to talk now. Jeez. It's been it's what so you long. get for your rigged game. I see how it is. It's going to be even more rigged now. My next, The next time, I'm just going to go, all right, Justin, sing me a song about you losing again right now. Man, see, oh boy. Um, now going back to this, I do uh, agree with you, Justin, when you were talking about how earlier that you know it's kind of like a summary of what I had said too. That yeah, it's you know with what the kids said that were like homophobic slurs and things like that. It, it it's a product of the time and what was normal vocabulary back then. I think if the movie was made now, I think you could still have the bully character say it because that's kind of the point of the bully character, you know. Yeah. But somebody like, you know, Jonah Hill's character saying it as much as he did and things like that, that's probably where you would, you know, drop that aspect of it. Um, but no, I do I do like what you were you were talking about, Justin, with the fact that like, you know, Jonah Hill's character talks a big game and all this other stuff, and then, you know, at the end of the movie, it really just kind of shows just how insecure and like hidden he was. And that it was all this yeah. facade he put up and everything. And as much as Michael Sarah's character talked a big game with some of that stuff too, what it boiled down to is he was also not that type of guy. You know, when push came to shove, he wasn't that type of guy, you know, and he even tried to mention it. And, you know, Becca's friend even gave him the out of, well, you're not taking advantage of her if you're drunk too. And he tried to go make himself get drunk and all this other stuff. And he did get drunk, but he still couldn't do it because it still wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. And so I, I appreciated that, that, and that's what I was talking about earlier when there are elements of this movie that are infinitely more progressive than you would think for a time like this. Uh, because I mean, like growing up even more so with like the American pie movies, those like a, one of the big things is like, Oh, you get a girl drunk and you have sex, you know? And that, no matter what the end game should be to have sex. And this movie kind of showed that while it could be something you're thinking about, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the end game, no matter what. And yeah, I, I, exactly. do think, I do think that that is an intriguing thing for a movie like this, because I mean, especially from, you know, everything we grew up with and stuff like that, you would never think a teen sex comedy, if you will, would have that message. And then you have somebody like McLovin, though, who 
you know, just gained confidence and all this other stuff. And essentially that ended up getting him laid because, you know, he was a more confident version of himself. He was actually like, you know, more out there. He wasn't, you know, the weird guy that was shy anymore. And, you know, that type of personality got him noticed, you know? So yeah. you have you have that like that different turn of it where, you know, he wasn't in it. And like I said, it wasn't, it, it's a different situation than the other two characters went through. But I just think it, I, I like that juxtaposition of it all is, is, is that what it boiled down to it. It still wasn't trickery or anything like that. He was just confident. There was no, you know, shenanigans, anything like that. I mean, I understand the whole joke was that, you know, she thought he was from Hawaii and all this other stuff, but like ultimately it just kind of showed how when he wasn't confident, he was completely forgettable because yeah, that same girl had literally seen him earlier in the day and was like, are you staring at my ass? And he's like, Oh no, the time's 1032. And she didn't remember him. And now she did just because he was, you know, more confident and open and, putting himself actually out there and actually like actually talking to her and stuff instead of being completely weirded out about the prospect of it. So I really, I, I, so I do think a lot of that is very interesting because that is not the, the typical route. Something like this goes. Uh, And like, I, I, I do like also though, that throughout the movie though, you do see those cracks in Jonah Hill's armor, you know, like the scene where he does, you know, get menstrual blood on him. And everybody's kind of like making fun of him. He is taking it so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of the things it's like, you know, at a certain point and, and, but that's also reasonable for somebody uh, of the age of the character he's portraying, you know, that could happen to me now. And I honestly couldn't fucking care. Uh, but I mean, also I have a bad habit of cutting myself at work. So I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of random times where I have blood on my pants because I cut my hand and didn't notice it. And I've just like smeared blood on my pants. It just happens to me a lot. Uh, Cause I, I just don't pay attention when I'm using sharp tools, but it's just, so it's just, just it's just one of those things though. That, like I liked how authentic that was to somebody of that age, you know, and also of somebody like Michael Sarah's character where his, you know, best friend is, puts on this outward performance and all this other stuff and how he kind of feels like he needs to do his own version of the same type of thing, even though that's also what not get, like he doesn't need to because the Becca character obviously, you know, liked him without that. And I like how you got to see that, like the Jules character liked, you know, the Seth, uh, or like the uh, Jonah Hill character without that facade either, you know, and like you were saying, Justin, I do think it's funny because, and I don't know if you said both characters, I know you were at least talking about Jonah Hill, but both characters end up getting the girl at the end of the movie wearing shorts, not just Jonah Hill. So I think it's funny True. that essentially he's wrong twice. Yeah. In that same scene. Yeah. Uh, which I do think it's funny, though, too, that like, why did Michael Sarah drive them to the mall, but couldn't drive them to the party? Like they were at Michael Sarah's house. At, you know, when they were changing for the party, why couldn't they just take his like the car he drove to the mall the next day? Then I just thought that that was a weird little thing I noticed. But I mean, either way, it's, you know, and also, like I mean, and you guys have said this multiple times, like it really is one of those things that like Bill Hader and Seth Rogen's characters in this movie. I don't know whether to root for them or not 
or to like them or not. Because while you understand their motivations for doing what they did with the McLovin character, they were also incredibly terrible at their jobs whilst doing it and put (laughs) so many people's lives in danger and all this other stuff. I mean, they ignored a call where one of their colleagues was screaming into his radio that there's so much blood they need backup. Right. And they ignore it whilst getting (laughs) drunk and driving and letting a kid shoot a gun and shit. Like I get that. Like that's also the, the, like the humorous element of it that it is that that ridiculous, but it's just like one of those things that's like, you know, you understand where they're coming from and you know, that's, it's kind of nice that they were just trying to create a relationship with a kid that, you know, nobody did whenever they were a kid. Like they were saying that like they fucking hated cops. And so they wanted to see if they could just change that mentality for one kid. But in doing so, like if you were the Jonah Hill, the Michael Sarah character, you're going to hate cops more because one of them hit you with a car than like put you at gunpoint and was like going to arrest you for hitting you with your, their car. Like, so they do the opposite for those two characters, you know, but yeah, it's just, so it's, it's one of those crazy like things I noticed with that. Uh, I will say this also uh, kudos to this movie for having a root song at the party. Whenever they show up, it's here. I come by the roots. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I always appreciate that. I've I've been a a very big Roots fan for a very long time, and uh, their album Phrenology uh, with uh, C two is what got me into the Roots. Uh, some people might know that song oddly enough from the movie Collateral with Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise, uh, and it's very weird that it's in that movie considering what the song's about. But like hearing that song, like growing up, yeah, I listened to some rap here and there and all this other stuff, but like going into my teens and late teens and stuff like that, I was very much, it was like maybe some alternative, but a lot, a lot of heavy, heavy metal. Like all I listened to was heavy metal and all this other stuff. And then I heard C 2.0 by the roots and that completely changed everything for me, you know? And now everybody knows me as the guy that loves Kanye and Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) And I don't really listen to any metal anymore. I listen to it here and there ever so slightly. Uh, I did recently, uh, rebuy cause I had the album back in the day, but I bought, uh, the Marilyn Manson greatest hits album, uh, lest we forget, which that's delightful, you know, but yeah, it's just one of those things. I very rarely ever listen to metal anymore and it's just nothing but pop and hip hop. That's like all I listen to for the most part. And so like, I think it's crazy that like, yeah, that's so once again, it's just one of those things where I just kind of hope there's somebody out there that was watching this movie that was like me and they heard here I come by the roots at this party. And they're like, Oh man, that song rocks and changed their life because that's what hearing a root song in the movie did for me. So hmm. yeah, it's all these weird little things that tie in with stuff. Uh, but yeah, I just think that while some elements in this movie are problematic, I think overall it handles the things that are problematic better than most because like, Justin said, and I've said, and all this other stuff that's, it doesn't feel malicious. It just feels misguided by the time in which it was made. And I think movies like that, I do think you can forgive to a degree, you know, but what I don't want somebody doing is I don't want somebody to then trying to use that logic against me with the movie, say like, uh, gone with the wind, because while the language and stuff like that, and some of the characterizations used at the time 
were appropriate for the time. The message of the movie was still bad back then. That, to me, makes it malicious. Fuck Gone with the Wind. That's all I'm saying. I bet nobody thought I would be able to bring up Gone with the Wind whilst we talk about Superbad. <laughs> That's but I can for do sure. It. And I do, and I truly, truly mean that. Uh, yeah, fuck Gone with the Wind. I think, like I said, while there are elements appropriate, I believe it was malicious. That's why I don't forgive that movie. I don't feel like it was malicious in this. That's why I can forgive it. And at least argue with somebody that, like I said, I truly believe if it was made today, they wouldn't do that. And I know this because, like Justin said, like Seth Rogen was one of the people that wrote this movie. He's even said that, you know, because, I mean, things are different now. I mean, and just like Justin said, I, I used to use what is now considered homophobic slurs as just normal shit, you know. You'd be talking about something, you're like, oh, man, that's gay. And that was just kind of the normal way we all talked. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was talking to somebody that and they pointed it out to me that, you know, and they were gay. And they were like, well, why is that a bad thing? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't mean it like, you know, gay like you. It's, you know, it's gay because it's lame. And they're like, yeah, but it's the same word. You're saying one version of it's lame and the other version's not. So, like, why could it be a positive thing for me, but a bad thing for a certain other situation? And having that conversation with somebody like really kind of opened my eyes to the way it is, like the the way words can be twisted like that and still be hurtful, whether or not you mean for them to be or not. And like that really, and that kind of changed a lot for me. And it's one of those things that I'm not going to lie at some points, like when I'm talking, there are times I do catch myself almost saying that just because for so long in my life, that was an acceptable way to say something like that. But I'm not going to lie. It's not impossible to not say it. I'm still, you know, like, yes, I have to think about it every once in a while. But I'm not going to lie. The longer it's been since the, you know, since I used to use it like that, I'm not going to lie. It's gotten easier. I don't, I don't find myself catching myself to not say it anywhere near as much as I used to. I mean, it's very rare at this point, you know, and honestly, where it ends up happening is if I've watched a lot of shit from the 90s and early 2000s. Like, if I've watched a bunch of shit that uses it the way we used to, that's when I'm more likely to say it. Because yeah. you, you just get so comfortable with that vernacular again. Because it was a familiar part of our lives, you know? And it's just one of those things that, like, you know, I, I do hope that that's something that changes. You know? It's, it's very much up there with when people say things, uh, like, nowadays, I know a lot of people have been changing from it, and I know I have, but it's like when people just say, say things are retarded. It really is the same type of thing. Yeah. And like, I know the literal definition of the word retarded or to retard, uh, you know, is to slow or to impede, especially when used in music. Um, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should necessarily say that that is what things are anymore, unless you are literally using it as a musical term, because that is, I believe, a Latin word or a, a Spanish word or something like that, it's, it, it, it strictly means something in music. It means to slow down, you know? That would make sense because it's the literal word used in music. But I think using something like that in everyday conversation just kind of shows that you don't necessarily care about the people that that affects. And, I mean, it's... It, and to me, it really is that simple. You either care or you don't, you know? And, I mean, and I get it. Because once again, I grew up saying that all the time. We all did. I say we all. 
I mean, I guess there could be like a 10 year old listening to the podcast right now. They may not have, <laughs> but I mean, I would say people 25 and older for the most part grew up saying stuff like that, you know? And, uh, I, it, like I said, it's, it's up to you whether or not you change or not, but if you say it, I'm going to think you're dumb at least minimum minimum. Yeah. I thought is you're that you're dumb because like, yeah, it's, it's now so when easy you hear to it, not use it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like now when somebody says that now they just feel so out of touch, like and it's funny because somebody will say that and then the people that I'm around will all kind of look at each other like, why did he say that? You know, like now it's that thing. Now it's like, man, he still doesn't get it. You know, (laughs) like now it's like you feel like that person is behind because they say it, you know, you just it's it's it just has such a different effect now than what it used to, I think. Well, yeah. And it's just it's crazy that like, I mean, it's so easy to not say that word or it's it's I'm not gonna lie. It's easy to not say certain words because it's not like there aren't other words that exist. Like, I'm not gonna lie. How easy is it to say, man, that's fucking stupid. It, it, it literally gets across the same message as what you're trying to say, but that doesn't disparage an entire group of people. I mean, I say that. I guess that could offend stupid motherfuckers out there. I don't really care. Be, uh, <laughs> that's terrible. It is. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, to me, I think stupid is actually something you choose to be because I could understand if you're not smart. I get that. I think stupid, though, is kind of a mentality, like willfully not wanting to know something. You know, you, you, do you get what I'm saying? Am I coming across right with that? Yeah, I get that. I think this, this is something I think in my head that I've never actually said out loud before. So I don't know if I'm actually saying what I'm thinking because I've never actually had to put it into, you know, mouth words, just brain words. <laughs> And I don't yeah, always no, I get what you're make saying. those connections. Isn't like, all right, I know, we're way the fuck off topic at this point, but I, I still think it's kind of valid because we're talking about, you know, the, the words used in this movie and how things change and all this other stuff. This part's way off, though. Do you guys ever have that problem where, like, the words you think of in your head that make sense to you when you form your thoughts, then when you say them out loud, you're like, oh, that sounds dumb, but in your head it still works? All the time. Yep. Yep. All the time. Like, I'm seriously having that problem at the moment. Because <laughs> I seriously think I'm just sounding worse and worse and worse with what I'm saying. But in my head, it's it's so clear. I know exactly what I mean. And yep. then I'm just like, why why are the like the words I use in my brain not the words I'm saying? All the time. Yep. It's so odd. The human brain is fascinating. Anyway, back to super bad. Let me see if I don't know. Because I kind of feel like I dug myself in a hole. I don't know if I have or not. I feel like I have. So let me just end that part of it and get out of the hole and just say, yeah, super bad's fun. And I will say this. I don't know if the girl that played Becca is an amazing actress or a bad actress with how she plays drunk. Hmm. Why is that? Because... I don't know if I've ever seen anybody that type of drunk. Like, don't get me wrong. I've seen plenty of girls that were white girl wasted. But the way she was talking upstairs, I've never heard anybody talk like that while drunk. 
So I don't know if it was a brilliant acting choice or a bad one. Kind of like the Brad Pitt in Seven Dilemma. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Like, it's just one of those weird things where, like, when I don't want to say it was baby talk, but it was kind of gibberish. Like, it wasn't slurring, you know? So I just, I don't know if I like it or not. Yeah, I get that. It was annoying, but I kind of feel like that was the point of it. So if it was annoying and it was the point of her doing that was to just kind of show how ridiculously drunk she was and how even Michael Sarah wanting her like she was so obnoxiously drunk that I don't, yeah. I don't want to say that it was annoying him. I'm just saying that it, it was so painfully obvious to him that no matter right. what she was beyond the point of anything. So like, that's yeah. what I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to lie. In any circumstance, I would not have sex with a woman that talked like that no matter what. If I was ever dating a girl (laughs) and she got drunk and said shit like that, I would be breaking up with her the next day. (laughs) Because I couldn't handle that. I'm just saying that was a deal breaker because that annoyed the fuck out of me. (laughs) And uh, to talk about that scene, I don't know. I think I'm going to go with a good choice because... Maybe if she hadn't acted that way, we wouldn't have gotten the just scary good performance from Michael Sarah. Because, I mean, he was absolutely lights out in that scene. Just the the way that he would move and then what he would say, please, just please be careful with that. You know, it's it's a vintage. I got it at the yeah. the, the vintage <laughs> right. market. You know, he he was absolutely wonderful in that scene. Actually, and a lot of I know that, you know, people walked away from this and uh, uh, talking about McLovin and I get the iconic character of McLovin and everything. But really, like when you think about the acting that was done, Michael Sarah just is scary good in this movie, just especially with just how he reacts to people, situations, Jonah Hill and that scene. What made that so great was him. You know, it was really how he reacted to her drunken acting. And I think they complimented each other in that way and just nailed the scene for me anyway. Yeah. Well, I will say this. That scene also does provide my favorite line in this movie. Which, and I don't remember if it was in the original one, because I only have the unrated cut now. So this might be just in the unrated, because I don't remember this. And it stuck out so much when I watched it this time. And this is incredibly vulgar for anybody that might not want to hear this. But I'm assuming if you've seen Superbad and you're this far into the podcast, you're going to be fine with me saying this. But Becca says to him, you've got such a smooth cock. And then he says to her, you would too if you were a guy. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And that's why I don't know if it was just in the unrated version or not. Because I'm like, how the fuck did I not remember that line? Because that is amazing. Like, just the weird, like, sexual naiveness that Michael Sarah had that, like, or his character had that would have caused him to say that line is fucking brilliant. Because, like, he's totally meaning that as a compliment to her because she was complimenting him. (laughs) But that is a weird fucking compliment. And I just love the fact that also that her character then is too drunk to even know what the fuck he just said to her. (laughs) 
because I cannot imagine that ever working well in that situation ever. Right. But it's just one of those things like he said that and I was like, wait, what? And I actually rewound it, like pressed the little, you know, 15 second back button. And I was like, no, that motherfucker just said that. (laughs) And to me, it instantly became the greatest line in that movie. I think I think it's it's right up there with the now memed version of Jonah Hill saying, well, fuck me. Right. Like it's those two lines, I think, are the best lines in Superbad, you know, because like the meme of, you know, of just the fuck me. Right. It's great. But but that that line of you would, too, if you were a guy or I bet you would, too, if you were a guy, whatever the fuck it was. I've only heard it like the twice ever, but that's a fucking brilliant line. (laughs) <laughs> it's just astounding but i mean i'm not gonna lie i also i do think that the scene that scene is visually hilarious though also because and nothing against michael sarah but like michael sarah is the definition of a string bean right and i just think it's funny visually speaking at least especially in this movie with the way he acted with it you know because there have been some movies where you know michael sarah doesn't act like a nervous naive person and maybe it would work better in that, you know, maybe it visually wouldn't be funny if it was one of those characters. Like, you know, if somebody was doing that to him, him playing, uh, what's it called? Uh, Scott Pilgrim. Maybe it wouldn't have been visually funny. But him being that nervous wreck of a character and being a string bean and then have somebody essentially sexually desire him that much is funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just in, in, like you were saying, Justin, with the whole like with him you know, nervously fiddling around and saying things like, oh, be careful. I'm very attached to this sweatshirt or this sweater. It's vintage, you know, saying things like that because this girl's trying to like get him. Mm-hmm. It, it, it It's just very funny visually that somebody is like wants him that bad. And he's so incredibly nervous and uncomfortable with it. And then on top of being string beam is just a very funny visual. Yeah. And th- and it's just great because, like, the scenario, the plan was to get exactly this. You know, the plan was, oh, we're going to we're going to get these girls drunk and then, you know, we're going to get to have sex with them. They're going to release their inhibitions, et cetera. And then the funny thing is, is that he got that situation. He didn't get her the gold slick vodka because that got dropped. Um on the way there. So he didn't even get the vodka to her. She was already, he had, he did no work. He didn't have to do any of the work required to get the desired scenario that was at the beginning of the movie. And even when all that happened, like you had said earlier, he still couldn't do it because that's not him. That's not the guy he is. That's not. So he, None of that worked out the the way that it was supposed to. And that just makes that even that much greater because narratively it just fits so well with what they gave you uh, at the beginning of the movie. So it's just another layer that makes that scene just great, you know? Well, I, I, I do think it's funny because of what they thought was necessary for them to get whatever they wanted in the end. I think it's funny because neither of them ultimately at the end needed that to happen to get what they wanted, you know, because, well, yes, Michael Sarah's character did talk about having sex with Becca and stuff like that. 
ultimately he actually just wanted to be with her not necessarily like the like while he had talked about having sex with her that night and all this other stuff ultimately what he really wanted was to be in a relationship with her yeah and you know and he didn't need to get her drunk to have that because it was obvious that she wanted him to but then you know because she was drunk ambitions all that stuff but anyway but i do think it's funny that also it was the same thing for jonah hill's character with jules he needed you know he thought he needed her to get drunk for her to even want to talk to him or anything with him really you know and so whenever you know he was drunk and thought she was and she's like no i don't drink because he had just assumed that about her because he had also assumed that that was the only way he had a shot but in the end it really was that no she just liked him and you know if he had actually just been himself both of them would have stood a better chance of actually being with the respective girls that night if they'd actually just shown up to the party on time yeah (laughs) and just been there you know because maybe becca wouldn't have gotten sloppy drunk if she if she was sitting there talking to michael Sarah all night you know or maybe jonah hill's character would have realized he did not need to get drunk you know to 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 have a chance with jules or to have her be drunk too because they could just sat there and talked and we realized like oh she likes me without getting drunk so i don't need to make a fool of myself later you know it's funny that the only character that needed the shenanigans to happen that night to have a shot of getting a girl was the mclovin character yeah (laughs) because you know he he came out of his shell because of that you know so I do think it's it is that weird funny thing that like this movie could have almost played out like better for each individual character for that night if they tried to get the alcohol McLovin you know they go to that scene where McLovin's talking to the cops and they go oh no and so if they just go straight to the party from there and McLovin goes around with the cops and then ends up at the party at the end then everybody would have probably you know respectively gotten the, their girl and I don't necessarily mean in a sexual way, but I'm just saying, you know, ended up in relationships that night and everything. If that's how the movie had played out. And I'm just saying that just in general, I think it's funny that it's the shenanigans is what actually caused those two to not get what they wanted in any way, shape or form that night. Now, as Justin, you know, and everybody said, they do the next day after, you know, the haze of alcohol has worn off. But it's just kind of funny how that works out. And even that scene at the end, like just the continuity of this movie is everywhere. Like the girls weren't there at the mall because the script needed them to be at the mall. They were there because she had thrown up on Jules's comforter and she was there with her just kind of as an apology for that was buying her another uh, comforter. And, you know, and we know that, um, uh, Michael Sarah needed a comforter for college. So even that, you know, and, and, and it's like the movie didn't have to do that. They could have just been at the mall with no explanation, but still, you know, it had enough, there was enough thought and intelligence in this that even that had a connection and just how organic it felt as a neighborhood. Like the Hispanic guy that was at the gas station shows up at that party. 
for the older adults. You know, he shows up and he's handing out drinks and he's like, yeah, man, I'm ready for a party. And you're like, I know he is because he had a tough day at work. He had to clean up that alcohol. And, you know, it's just did the movie need to have that? No, but it was still tight or even how like the characters wound up together. You know, they're the cops are on that um, road trip with McLovin or whatever that Joyride, And then what happens? That fight happens at that party uh, with, um, with uh, Jonah Hill and them with Jonah Hill there and everything. And then they get radioed in to go to that party. So it all kind of, you know, all of these intricate things go together and it all just kind of makes it feel like organic events. It doesn't just feel like, Oh, this is happening because the script needs it to happen. And I'm just really big on that. Like even that proverbial argument that the two main characters have to have, where there has to be that moment where the, the two characters are at end so we can have our crisis moment. Well, you know, we talked at length about on Booksmart how it was cool how they did that scene. They, they did it with no volume and you couldn't hear what the characters were saying. And there was this cool turning of the camera and that was very artistically done. What was great about this one is that when Jonah explodes on Michael Sarah and he's talking about how, man, you're going away, you're leaving me and all that stuff. They built that. All these characters mentioned it. Y'all are going to be together. Y'all are going to different schools. Y'all are going to be separate. You see, they build it and build it and build it. And finally, Jonah explodes in that moment. And even though it wasn't as artistically done in book start, book smart narratively it just made so much sense here and just doesn't come off as a cliche because we need to have it because this is a movie you know what i mean yeah no i agree so any final thoughts on super bad guys nope nope i'm good on that note <laughs> thank you guys for listening to this episode of the simulator podcast check us out at www.simulators.com Check us out on Facebook at cinema underscore slayers and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at cinema underscore slayers. Unfortunately, my Lakers did not win tonight and there will be a game six. That makes me sad. They're wearing the Mamba blacks. I thought it was no. a foregone conclusion, but game six, they'll win it. Don't worry, guys. They'll win it. And remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a best picture winner. Okay, so I lied. I don't have 20 things I hate about Sterling. But I do have this. I am McLovin. Yeah. <laughs> chicka, chicka. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that was supposed to mean. That didn't affect me at all. So. <laughs> yeah, that just kind of feel, makes me feel more justified with giving you a loss earlier. Oh.